Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, getting old, uh, yeah, it does. It it sneaks up on you and the aches and pains, and then it seems to plateau for a while, and then you'll have a steep rise, and oh, my God, the grave looms, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, my, my biggest thing is, well, it's because I grew up on show tunes. With I, I really can't listen to music where the vocals aren't, uh, like crisp and I can't hear the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. not even that. That's that makes me feel like I'm seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's an extra old. Like you know, there's there's people in their late forties that can listen to <laughs> mushy lyrics. You yeah, know? I mean, because when you think about it, how much like how many Elton John songs have you sung to your whole life and not known? Like you know. Like I just, it was only like months ago that I figured out it was, we'll fight our parents out in the street to find who's right and who's wrong. Oh, like well, I, Jesus Christ. No. You know, that's Benny and the Jets. Oh, no one knows the lyrics to yeah, that Yeah, we'll find our parents out on the street to find who's right and who's wrong. You but know, it's, it's like, mixed as if you can hear the lyrics. Yeah, I that's still true. enjoy it because it's it's not, his voice isn't covered up by everything. But yeah, like the yeah. new Harry Styles album, I was like, okay, time to eat your music vegetables and listen to what the kids are <laughs> listening to. And, and I was like, he has such a lovely voice. Why is he covering it up with all that synth? <laughs> I basically am everyone's mom. I'm like, say, Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry, I want to hear you. Harry, sit up straight musically, you know? Yes. <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, all right. Well, I, you know, we, I, I've decided we've already started. Uh, I'm talking to Rachel Bloom uh, <laughs> here on the three questions today. I'm lucky enough to have her. Um, she's at a, at a swank party, I can tell. There's a lot going on in the background. Uh, whereas I'm sitting in front of an unmade bed. Because my cleaning person is here. That's why I did. And I, you know, and I, I do shit the bed every night. So it's a regular thing that I have. Metaphorically and literally. Literally, literally, no, metaphorically, metaphorically, I'm firing on all cylinders all the time. (laughs) I am aces. So how are you? How's things? How's life? Well, How's I mean, motherhood? You know, as you, know? you can tell, I'm at this amazing party at the Chateau Marmont <laughs> right now. I'm amazed. I'm amazed that they could that they let me do a podcast. I'm good. I mean, I I I've closed the door to my office so that my daughter can't hear me because otherwise yeah. she'll storm downstairs. Toddlers are insane. They are. 
I don't they have are. any hot take. Everyone's all, already said toddlers are dictators. I mean, I'm in an I'm in an emotionally abusive relationship with my toddler. Mm-hmm. It's what no. she doesn't she doesn't want me to see anyone else. Whenever I'm talking to someone around her, she goes, "Mama, no talk." Yeah, it's pro- it's a problem. The phrase I coined was high stakes boredom because yes, <laughs> you're bored all the time, but you have to be ever vigilant because. There might be a split open skull at any moment. Well, and it's also, it's moments of repetition is part of how they develop. Watching the same movie, listening to the same songs, doing the same things. And then there are these moments of genuine clarity and brilliance. You Mm -hmm. You can see their consciousness kind of logging on. And then it logs back off again. Yep, yeah. But for those moments, it's, it's, it is... There's moments of pure boredom and then moments of pure bliss. And I never knew those two could kind of um, coincide. I, I guess it's kind of like living in New York. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. low lows, high highs. Yeah. The smell of urine and then beautiful epiphanies. Yes. You know? yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. But And you love it no matter what. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really, it, it is tough. It's a tough time. Especially kind of, you know, when they can really talk to you, that's a big difference, you know, because, yeah. because, you know, this sort of like, you know, beginnings of speech, it's cute. But after a, it's kind of like, you're like, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, like what? Is, I don't know what you want. And they say it five times and they don't get bored saying it. They'll say no. it 20 times. Um, but yeah, it's it's it gets. It does get better. And then, I mean, my, my, my kids are 16 and 21. And then you start to really, that's like with the 21 year old, I kind of feel like, oh, okay. So this is it then. You're just going to go and be your own human adult. Then. Yeah, you're done. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess I knew that was the deal, but wow. Huh. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, it's what so do I do with myself now? It's so, yeah. it's so strange that. The bulk of if everything goes well, I've heard, I mean, this is true. The the bulk of a relationship between a parent and child is when both are adults. Yeah. Even though those first 18 years are so wildly formative and important, you don't associate, like you think of having a kid as them being a kid. But the fact that most of my relationship with my daughter will be when we can both have a conversation and she'll be yeah. like, I don't know, like smoking cigarettes and be having sex, which is really weird. <laughs> That's what I assume. My daughter's yeah, going to yeah. be fucking cool. <laughs> of course she is. Yeah. She's going to be able to handle her cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're growing up, but she's growing up in Los Angeles, so she definitely will be. Yeah. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, you oh, know, that's good. Uh, yeah. That's a big uh, factor. I've been, I've been trying to... Uh, when I've been looking at at kind of schools and and where I want her to go, it's it's okay. Where is she least likely to develop a coke problem? That's yeah. actually my that's my only factor. Yeah, I can tell you the schools to steer away from, but I won't tell you on air. Um, I I grew you up, probably have a good idea. Yeah. Well, I grew up here. I grew up in Manhattan Beach, which is uh-huh. not L.A., but I and I would hear about certain private school parties yeah. where people would do coke. I know the. I have a pretty good sense of the private schools, yeah. Even my kids would say, oh, yeah, that one's more of a cocaine party or more of a cocaine school, and that one over there is more 
weed and, and ecstasy, you know, and sort of like, you know, I'd be like, well, you hang out with those weed and ecstasy kids. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you At know what's good for you. <laughs> At least they're calm and happy. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and also, too, it is it is a it, well, you you grew up in Los Angeles, but kind of Los Angeles adjacent. So you weren't in the yeah. full swim of showbiz bullshit and how it can be a cancer on a young life. No, but, I wasn't at all. No. Yeah. But it's, you can still kind of navigate it if you stay engaged and you stay communicative and you stay respectful of your kids, uh, you know, own identity and their own choices and stuff. I think, you know, if you let them be them, they're going to be, they're not going to have any reason to hide stuff from you other than just like, you know, like my daughter, I'll, I picked her up once at a party and, you know, half the way home, she says, she, and I didn't think anything. She just said like, okay, I, all right, I'm going to level with you. I had a couple of beers. Oh. And, and I was like, oh, okay. I said, good. Well, you know, thanks for telling me. Whatever. You could, you could have three if you want. I'm driving, so if you want to. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's, she's open. I mean, my, that my parents would, uh, I would have been. Zero man, there would have been zero tolerance. Uh, for really, not yeah, that was that was. I was going to segue into that. What was what was growing up in your house like? First of all, are you an only child? Or I am a- an only child. Oh um, boy! And how do you feel? How do you feel yeah. about that? Are you going to have? Is your daughter going to probably be an only child? I think so. Uh, yeah. Honestly, being an only child is the least of my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh well, yeah. So I like it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, people have this argument. Oh, I want to give my child a sibling. I got to say, the majority of sibling relationships I've seen are cordial at best. Yeah. So I I don't, you know, I want to give my child a sibling. I think it becomes more relevant as, you know, your kid gets older and older. And my husband describes it because he has a sister as, as, as someone almost having a witness to your life. Someone mm-hmm. someone being there and commiserating. But, you know, I'll, I'll be dead by the time she needs that. So really? I'm not. You yeah, planning on you planning on checking out early? Yeah, you know, I just feel like something bad, something <laughs> bad's gonna. But yeah, so you I need was... to let her know that too <laughs> every day. I'm not here for long, so you better get your act together, miss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she wouldn't care. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I. I was an only child, and and my my. But my my parents were very cool and easygoing in certain ways, but like zero tolerance for drugs or, I mean, my mom once, it's a whole thing. My mom once told me if she found out I was doing drugs, she'd take me out of college. Wow. And why yeah. do you think that was? Where Are they just kind of, are they teetotalers? Are they, you know? My mom's a, she's a, she's a prude and she is very afraid of substances. Uh, I, th- I think um, right. I like, but I like the, the, I don't know. I like the realism of, of, yeah, you're going to go to a party and there's going to be beer. And I, I was thinking about how do I explain weed to my child eventually? And I kind of like leveling her with the real, with the realism of, look, marijuana is not legal on a federal level, which means they cannot really do studies so we don't know how marijuana affects a developing brain. Yeah. And and I just, you know, keeping that in mind. And, and also alcohol fucks up. You're like, your brain is not fully developed, I think, until you're 20. 
it's like 21 to 25. Yeah. So I think that's a, I don't know. Someone had said that to me, like, yeah, we just don't know. Like it could really fuck up your brain treating them with, uh, with that amount of respect. But the thing I have no template for is having, is raising a kid in Los Angeles whose parents are in show business. Cause I, that is not, I, and I didn't grow up in Manhattan beach when it was a time where a lot of showbiz people were living there. There were, there were people here and there, but it was a big deal when that happened. And it uh-huh. seemed like Los Angeles proper Hollywood was, you know, 3000 miles away. It, it might as well have been. And so I don't, I have no template for how this will or won't fuck her up. And my, my writing partner, Aline, she has two kids uh, who are in college and it's really amazing. Neither of her kids really give a shit about her career. And I think it's so healthy and wonderful because no one wants the kid who's like, my mom just had a, a great meeting with Fox and I think she's like in the mix for, you know, you don't want a kid yeah. doing that, but I don't, and then raising a kid whose parents in the public eye, I couldn't imagine if people were coming up to me as a kid and going, I'm sorry, I, is your dad the famous health lawyer, Alan Bloom? I just want to <laughs> say, wow, the thing he did with that contract uh, last week, like, blew my mind, you know. Yeah, and yeah. What would that be like? Well, from Tell my me. own, I mean, my son never really, he never talked to me that much about it. And a, And they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit at all. And in fact, the fact that I'm doing it and they I mean, and I'm, I take them at their word when they tell me that they love me and uh, they they seem to like me, you know, and, and enjoy being around me. But they anything I do is mostly an embarrassment. So if I'm doing it, it doesn't matter that much. Like my daughter just uh, I mean, like a month ago had a conversation with me and I don't know, I think she saw somebody being interviewed talking about uh, like a younger comedian talking about how formative the Conan show was on their sensibility. And she was sort of talking about like, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that you like that, that people liked your show. And she said, and I look, she said, she's like, I kind of looked at like some old bits and they're pretty funny. I was like, yeah. And I said, you know, I, and I was like, yeah, I, I mean, because I understood that why would she would why she wouldn't care? Like, you know, you, you know, my dad wrote a few books. I mean, granted, they're like about the Russian language, but like, I'm not going to read my dad's books. You know, I, what are they? Are they uh, you know, it's my dad, you know. Um, so I, I understand that. But I did tell her, you know, there are some pretty funny bits, you know, that I could tell you about, you know. A robot on the toilet that just in itself i mean that's pretty good you know um so yeah but they don't they uh, i it would make my skin crawl and whenever they've had friends um, mostly my daughter's told me that she's had friends like she said the kid that has like said stuff to her like do you know who your dad is you know that kind of thing she said like that kid is the kid that's like the the token conservative of her grade which makes me feel great. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Weird. Even in LA schools, there's a, I mean, you know, there's like a, there's a car with like, kind of like gun bumper stickers on it that drops kids off. And there's a couple of like conservative kids from very conservative houses going to this very squishy, you know, LA Episcopal school. Um, So Uh, yeah. Episcopal. Yeah, yeah. That's where, yeah. 
Yeah, but you, honestly, I my advice to you, because yeah. I know you're asking. Uh, <laughs> I is, am. I is, am. I have no guidance on this. Is you just you just gotta go with your gut, and if it starts to feel, because you know, you're a real person with good taste. You know when you are in something that is showbiz and gross and yuck. Yeah. And if you feel that, get away from it. You know what I mean? And but that's, that's what, most of my job. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, but you know the difference. Sure. You know, you know the meeting that you have with somebody that you're like, oh, I like this person. This person's fun and real, and I like talking to him. And then the other one, where 30 seconds in, you're like, ugh, get me out of here. This person is a puke. Um, yeah. And you know. Even so, you can still like my my daughter's preschool was a wonderful preschool for children, but it was a I it was an awful experience for me. I had so many gross conversations with dads who told me would want to tell me and engage me in a conversation about which of the which of the preschool teachers they would like to do the most. No, honest oh God. to fucking God, and I you know and I. I, I wish I, in, in retrospect, I just kind of walked away from, and there was two, like it was like two or three of those conversations. I walked away from them rather than going like, hey man, this is our, this is somebody that's taking care of our kids, you know? And this preschool also had like a roped up VIP section for the like little pageant when the kids came out and sang Christmas songs and stuff. Wait, were, what do you mean? Like, like, that, like VIP like, for parents? Yes. Yes. For what, the parents who were famous? Yes. yes. Ew. Yes. Yes. Wait, going back to like dads being like, who do you want to fuck? Like, can I ask you a question? Okay, because I feel like there are two types of straight guys. There's the straight guys who are, I mean, and I guess gay guys are like this too, but I'm going to be, I'm going to be gross, grossly generalized. There's Mm -hmm. the straight guys who are like you, who know guys are gross and, and really are, don't opt into that. Stuff, shit is said to them and they're like, oh man, you're gross. My husband's like that, luckily. I think, I hope, I assume. And then there's the guys who are just terrible. So I, here's my question for you. Why are, why are men so fucking crazy? Is it, it's like, it's just like they're, they're, they're so obsessed with like fucking and their dicks. And it seems to warp a lot of men. It just seems to kind of warp everything they do. Is that just like nature? I mean, all men are fairly libido driven. Sure. I would say you like, like, uh, you know, I, yes, I'm not, I'm not somebody that gets into like lots of pussy talk with other guys. And I never have been. And I have had men throughout my life from boys to into men uh, saying like, you don't really do that. It's kind of weird. Like, and kind of, you know, and it's kind of like, how come you, cause they sense judgment. Yeah. And they're and they're right. They're right. There's a reason I'm not engaging in that is because I don't know. It's it's there's a time and place for it. I'm not saying that I haven't ever talked to a male friend about sexy things and about desire or whatever, you know, but I'm just not doing it with just guys around the office openly. Hey, here's a break in the schedule. Let's talk about someone's butt or let's. You know, like an agent, I an agent, one of my first agents points to his assistant out the door and goes, "It's pretty distracting looking at that all day, huh?" Am oh I right? My, am I right? And I God. was just like, "Ugh." I was like, "Well, you know, 
um, you're handling my career. <laughs> oh. Um, so, yeah, all men are driven that way. But then, like, some men learn to keep it in their pants, you know, metaphorically and, and, and physically, and just keep it in its proper context. Yeah. The way The way that women all seem to keep sexuality in a proper context. Well, yeah, I mean, look, you know? and, and it's I, there's a spectrum, and and but it 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 just seems like women is, and I guess when I say women, I'm talking about you know uh, uh, cis women, we're just not wired to be like dick, 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 dick. I was listening to a thing on NPR years years ago about uh, there was someone who was transitioning, born a woman, transitioning to be a man, and he started taking testosterone, and he said that the second he started testosterone, he suddenly was like on the subway and like wanted to like, would have involuntary flashes of like fucking women around him. Mm. Like that's what testosterone did. And I was asking my husband when I heard that, I was like, wait, is that what it's like? And my husband and my guy friends were like, yeah, it, you, it, it's like an involuntary, it's like a snapshot in your head. Yeah. And he's like, and it's involuntary and you shake it off. And basically a testament to how civilized you are is what you're saying. Like how well you can just like shake it off and right. have that not be a factor yeah. in your life and how you interact with women. But like, it's so funny because people say, oh, I don't know if I could trust a woman to be the head of a company. I don't know if I could trust a woman to be president. Uh, they'd be distracted by their emotions. I'm sorry. I've just now heard <laughs> that most <laughs> men have involuntary porn snapshots of half the population all day, every day, I don't trust anyone now. Well, yeah. But yeah, but that's, yeah, but that's, that's the case. But then men were in charge. And so that's considered, that's, that's an acceptable level of involuntary id. You know, you know, it's like, that's, that's, that's cool. That's fine. And in fact, it actually, it actually leads into competitiveness, which is good in a capitalist society, you know, <laughs> yeah, like looking at something, looking at, looking and thinking, I want to fuck that is good. Because if you look at land, you think, I want to fuck that land, <laughs> you know, and that turns into money and that's good. You know, I, yeah, no, I, I and I mean, and also too, the people that say that women are too emotional, like just get in the grave. Just fucking die already because <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You know, no. I mean, look around. It's that's just that's silly. That's just silly. And it's the kind of, you know, and it's the kind of shit we're still wasting time debating with people who say, ah, women can't be CEOs effectively. We don't even need to talk to that person, I feel like. Yeah, like a lot of but people are like basic and dumb. Tootly. Yes. Tootly. Tootly. Yeah, yeah. Tootly. Tootly. Yeah. Well, now, uh, let's get back yeah. to you and, and your yeah, we were, yeah, I know we're kind of bleeding into the question. That's all really right. Quickly, because we were talking about sex and power, uh, not to plug another podcast on your podcast, but have uh, you listen to, you must remember this, Karina Longworth's podcast? Yes, I have heard that podcast from time to time. So she has a whole series right now about sex and cinema and, uh -huh. and, and this brief period with like Deep Throat and uh, Last Tango in Paris where porn was almost elevated to be cinematic and, and how that bled into like kind of erotic thrillers in the eighties and nineties. And, and her big point, which I don't think is a point that she's just making, but she really focuses about how like these movies really aren't actually about sex. They're about money and power. And especially how, when the balance is restored, 
it it is often like the white straight guys who are back in power. And it's really cool that she's uh she's doing a, a really cool deep dive. But let's talk about me. Well, well, no, because now I'm I'm curious. Yeah. So- she, what she's saying is when 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 balance is restored, when people think like, no, no, porn is not art and we're not going to see hardcore sex in the same light that we would say like a Jane Campion movie. You know, we're not going to see Deep Throat along with, uh, you know, some coming of age story from, you know, Tibet or something. It, it When that equals out, she still says there's men that are like in charge. You know, well, they, like they, I. I think it's more like if you look uh, two examples that come to mind and I'm only in, I'm in the middle of this series right now. So I'm probably just um, being I'm paraphrasing her ultimate points. But like right. if you look at the movie Indecent Proposal and Fatal Attraction, both of those are very sexy sexual movies. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, they're about men who hold all the cards and crazy and, women and who cra- try to well, destroy with fatal them. attraction, a, f- a crazy woman who tries to, and in, in I think it's Alex in fatal attraction. She's very powerful, mm-hmm. and that's like a threat, right? It's like almost right. an upset in the balance of things. Yeah, and yeah. then indecent proposal is uh, Robert Redford still has all the power and the cards at the end of the movie. It's just someone choosing to kind of walk away mm-hmm. from that. And mm-hmm. how dare this woman want, how dare this woman and her husband want money and power like this guy who's actually earned it. Right. It's like, it's subtle, but it it's, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was, and I was also, when you said indecent proposal, I was thinking of uh, the other one, the Sharon Stone one. Oh, Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct, Yes, another yeah. one where she's like a powerful. Yeah. But she's crazy, you know? Like that sex forward woman is crazy. Yeah, yes. Yes. You know? Although, yes. And then also, I, I mean, the story on this podcast, she's also talking about how a lot of the cinema getting sexual, even though it was about women being empowered on the surface, the kind of filming situation um, was not empowering. Mm-hmm. Like how Last Tango in Paris, the filming of that had real issues with consent and same with Deep Throat. But I also read that in A Basic Instinct, they asked Sharon Stone to take off her underwear and she's like, wait, really? And they said, yeah, yeah, we'll never use it. We'll never, we're not going to show anything. It's just to give you that energy. So she had no idea that her vagina was going to be shown. Mm. Not fucked up. Really, really, <laughs> really fucked up. Yeah. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? All right, well, back to you and your folks. What was life like with them? Did you get along with them? I mean, you know, could you confide in them, even though they were keeping you from getting high and partying? <laughs> in certain things. Uh, you know, families are complicated. They so sure are. There was this 
dynamic between me and my parents were sometimes I was like, we were like three friends or they were like two friends with their like idiot sidekick. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of stuff as a family. I mean, we're a big, um, we're Disney weirdos. We're a big Disney family. And you're right there. So what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? But literally I had a, we had a long pass, uh, when I was in like second through fourth grade. And sometimes if I finished my homework, we'd go to Disneyland on a school night and just go on a couple rides and then I'd fall back asleep in the car. So there are parts that I really connect with them on and they, and they turn me on to like weird, weird Al and Mel Brooks. Like we have a lot of the same, um, humor and they were always really supportive of me being in theater. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that when I, the thing that neither of them could wrap their heads around was when, well, I had some like mental health issues. I think that were very weird and off-putting because no one talked about mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is the nineties, but no one talked about it. Yeah. All of this talk now with the kids and the mental health and the TikTok and the better help, I, that wasn't around at all. We talked about bullying at school, but no one ever talked about mental health. I never heard the word depression. I never, yeah. um, and and I think that I also was very boy crazy from a young age and I was very romantically upset and neither of my parents were like that as kids. My father went to an all boys school and my mom, you know, moved around a lot. So she, I don't know, both of them just didn't, um, it, I, they didn't know what to do with, with the, the with feelings that. and the emotions and the boyfriends. They just, yeah. didn't, they didn't, it was very foreign to them. And, and I want it. My mom doesn't wear, my mom does not wear a shred of make a shred of make. My mom doesn't wear makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom doesn't wear a bra. Um, and she just kind of like is, uh, just doesn't give a shit. And I, I started wanting to look sexy and wear, mm-hmm. I mean, like thong underwear. I remember I was like, I want thong underwear. My mom was like, no. And so I secretly with my allowance bought thongs but my mom had always told me only to wear uh, white cotton underwear because otherwise it would give me a yeast infection. So yeah. I was I was a, enough of a rebel to secretly buy thongs, but not enough to, to that I wanted launder, a yeast infection. Launder themselves. So the so the the no so the thongs that I got were uh, white, like white cotton thongs, which is like if something's going up your ass, yeah, you don't yeah, yeah. want it to be white, right? Right. And they were and so and I like and I'd hand wash them. And I'd, I'd dry them on a rack behind our other clothes that were being dried, hoping yeah. she wouldn't notice the, like, gross white thongs that, like, definitely had skin marks. Yeah, yeah. And did she did she ever confront you about I think them? She, she didn't confront. I think eventually I was like, you know, I bought myself some thongs. She's like, yeah, I saw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's just like, what are you? Yeah. She's like, well, yeah. What, eventually she kind of, um, she gave up on it, but- my parents are full of, as all parents are, my parents especially, they're 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 full of contradictions. Mm-hmm. And and they're and they're and our dynamic is so specific. I haven't really put my dynamic with my parents into anything I've written yet. Because I'm like, would this even be relatable? It's just such a I had such a specific um upbringing. I don't know. What what do you I mean, if you can I mean, this is a big question, but, yeah. you know, what um, what did you get from them that you like? 
What did you get from them that you don't like? Mm. That I like? Well, God, my dad is such a television fan. Yeah. And so is my mom. Mm-hmm. And so what what she would what they would do is every week they would tape on VHS all of the TV shows we wanted to watch. And at the, the end of the week on Friday, we'd watch everything. So I grew up on every major sitcom. I grew up on on Seinfeld, Frasier, Cheers, and we'd and we'd watch them all. That was really cool. My parents have always been really supportive of me going into the arts, which is yeah. not a given for parents. No, it isn't. Um, that's that has always been pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> do I not like? Well, you know, uh, my parents listen to podcasts that I'm on, so I'm gonna be uh, <laughs> a little more conservative. Let's It'll see, be what? healing. It'll what be healing. What can I say? Yeah. What can I say? Um, well, I'm one of those people that's now saying like, give content for my show with little or no regard of what it, r- havoc it wrecks in your life or it wreaks in your life. Yes. You know, come on. It's my podcast. I think I'm it's inter- I think it's interesting for even the most open actors and comedians out there who seem like they're leaving everything on the table in interviews or podcasts, whatever. From what I've realized, no, no one's sharing everything. Yeah, no. Like every, everyone's always holding something back because they're aware of the way what they say in public is going to affect their their family mm-hmm. and and their and their parents. And so there's always like Everything I, I'm so open about myself. If it's like a story about myself, I'll share anything. But with people in my life, I'm like, okay, well, what's worth dropping a potential bomb into yeah. a relationship for a moment on a podcast that's going to make me seem super fucking awesome and open? Right, right. Um, I mean, my, I, I, uh, what, what would my parents agree that they have? Um, my dad is a dork. He's a weird, he's a weird dork. I think he'd cop to that. I got yeah. some weird, I got a lot of weird dorkiness from him. My mother uh, runs, let's say, anxious. Mm. Um, uh, uh, d- depression runs in the family. So I have inherited that. That's actually yeah, yeah. many people in my, in my family. I'm raising um, my hand. No one. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it runs. A, that was. A, a that's, lot of that, people's families. That's yeah. yeah, it's a legacy that I've passed <laughs> on to my well, not so much my daughter, but my son. Like, you're welcome. Here you go. How about a broken chemical. brain, son? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing is like it's fucking chemical. And I'm sure you were raised this way. I was raised to kind of believe that believe that mental health and having bad mental health was like a choice. That you were just not trying hard enough or that you were weak. And that's just so not what it is. It's chemicals, which is why it's mm-hmm. uh, genetic. Yeah. yeah I, had, I, I, I yeah. actually, uh, actually, that's one thing I have. I mean, you know, my mother has her faults, but one thing that sh- was, a, was a gift that continues to give was that from an early age, um, she saw in me the beginnings of depression and, and, and a, a tough adjustment from, her getting remarried, and I went to what was called family counseling, oh, which that's was great. just therapy. I mean, starting it at like age twelve, and and then the kind of the whole family would get involved. Like she saw, she saw the good in you know what's known as the talking cure, and also to just have like an impartial outsider listen to all of it and kind of help you sort through it. So I had that. 
from an early age. The only pushback that I ever got was from friends and from people, you know, like, especially when I got to be older and like the first time I started on medication, uh, I had so many friends that were, uh, and I can only see it now as like their own fear. And, and especially because the, you know, they were like improv people and film people and this notion that somehow I was fucking with my brain and they, you know, they have all this like ridiculous notion of that. You're going to become some drugged out zombie <laughs> and it's, you know, and I, and I, and it was really kind of appalling to me at the time. Cause I was so miserable yeah, and, and, and so inert that like, Oh, I start taking this medication. Hey, things are better. I tell my friends and they're like, well, you don't have to do them all for the rest of your life. Do you? Yeah, what the fuck? People are yeah, really, uh, yeah. people are really, I had a friend call me about to go on antidepressants because I'm very publicly on antidepressants, have been for a long time. And he was me like, too. Yeah, and he was like, the thought of taking a pill for the rest of my life. And I'm, there's something that really, and as a woman, I've been on birth control since I was 19. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be taking a pill for the rest of my life. So it's easy for me to wrap my head around because I already take a pill every right. day. But yeah, you're going to take a pill for the rest of your life. Yeah. You have, a, you have a chemical imbalance. Yeah. So you're going to take a pill for the rest of your life. How, Whatever. how is it any different than stretching your muscles? Yeah. How is it any, yeah. any different than exercising your heart? How is it any different than, you know, if like, if you got a limp, you wear a corrective shoe. You're like, total, total, totally. It's like if you, didn't, if you were missing a leg, which you, you wouldn't be like, oh, I got to wear this. I got to wear a fucking fuck, prosthetic. Yeah, for this the rest prosthetic. Of no yeah. way. I'm stronger than that. <laughs> You know, like, no, it's, it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, it's getting better. It's getting better, but it still kind of blows my mind. And, and I have never been one to be like, I need to share my journey with people because I've been a, you know, mostly a fucking talk show sidekick. I'm not a goddamn <laughs> doctor or anything, yeah. but I have had so many people, so many, I mean, literally people walk up to me to tell me, I heard you on that podcast. I read that interview uh, and it made me finally seek help. Yeah, and that's I mean, amazing. Jesus, it's crazy. It's like, I and I, you know, I don't want to, because I'm very, I'm very sensitive to the notion of making hay out of it. You know, of like uh, the way that, some, you know, because I, I see some people who are sort of, generous in a very public way. And uh-huh. I don't want to be like the mental health guy in a performative way that gets me like, I don't know what it would get me, but I just, I'm, I'm always really just nervous about being seen as a, a phony that's trying to, you know, take something good and get a little juice off of it. But it's you know? funny because I have the same, I have the same fear. And I, and I was on a show that was all about mental health. So I've become, yeah, yeah. A, a it had crazy health. in the title. Yeah, exactly. But I, yeah. so I've become like a mental health person, but I try not to, there is this self-anointed iconship that yeah. is happening online where people are like, I'm a trailblazer I, where they, they anoint themselves. And the, and the weird thing is for how self-aware we've become as a society, I think because of the internet, where it's like irony upon irony upon irony, there is very little um, taking the shit out of uh, cheesy influencers. Yeah. There's, there's very little of that. It, it, there's so much 
sincerity behind it and it can be really good for people. But there are a lot of people out there, I, I agree, who like, there's just a false, they've proclaimed that they're a trailblazer. So you're like, okay, I guess you are. And I don't want to be one of those people yeah. because I there's a phoniness to it. But the weird thing is there are very few people who are actually judging those people, if that makes sense, which surprises no. me because the internet is so otherwise harsh and ironic. There's yes. like a, there's a forgiveness of like people who are saying, I'm so brave. <laughs> Look yeah. at me. I'm so brave. Yeah. That uh, I guess is sweet. There's I, <laughs> my, the one that I want to make fun of and I've never been, I'm going to do it right now, but yeah, I've never been it. brave enough is the people, the wealthy, famous, successful people that frequently make public declarations of gratitude. Mm, mm-hmm. Because I think it's such a check me out, like check out my humility. Granted, I know I'm sitting on a pile of money. I know I was born beautiful. I know that I, you know, I, I've had a very successful life. Uh, but look at me. Look at like how humble I am. Look at how real I am. Yeah. I'm not one of those phonies. I'm real. So you person that doesn't have these things, you don't need to feel any animosity towards me. And I think like they get to win twice. Like they get to <laughs> yeah. state how fucking cool everything is for them. And not only that, they get to seem like some kind of saint for for listing how fucking good everything is. And that's like, be grateful. I'm grateful. I think about gratitude. But really, do you need to say it on Twitter every every couple of weeks? You yeah, know, like, what's that for? What is that? Yeah, it's like a, like who's that for? What's that for? And the answer is, I guess it's like getting a high from inspiring people. Yeah. Well, there's a kind of a little industry. It's like a, it's like yes. part of the little bullshit LA industry of like here's ways that we can talk about stuff. That makes us seem good and and alleviates our guilt, you know, of our right. undeserved wealth and and you know, um, and I so I think it's part of that. It's this language that that a certain kind of people pedal to each other, in which they can all go because it, it can be like, oh, I drive a hundred and thirty five thousand dollar car, and uh, you know, my my kids are. They're 17 and they're supermodels and uh, I have three houses. Uh, oh, wait. I am so grateful for all that I have. Yay! Yes, yes, yes. You know? You're right. You're right. Well, but it's all, but but also what it is, is I think it would be, and I think a lot of people acknowledge this, but I think like everyone needs to acknowledge, almost everyone should be required to say in any Twitter post or Instagram post, hey, I'm partially doing this for the attention. Yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and the rush of dopamine I get off the attention. Right, right. If I didn't need this rush of dopamine, I, I, or if it weren't part of my livelihood, I guess, uh, I wouldn't be doing this, right? I wouldn't right. be posting it. So I think that also it's part of that is like, well, what am I going to post, huh? I want, I want that like good feeling from posting. I have a lot of followers. I want to stay famous. 
Mm, I can't post <laughs> about my nice car. I can't post about my kids because like, oh, they're just like too hot right now and people find it <laughs> alienating. Well, what can I post about that will still give me that happiness, but but make me seem down to earth? Oh, gratitude. I think yeah. there's just like, there's a, there's a reaching for that. Because every time I post, it's a hundred, it, there's always a part of it that's for attention. Even if it's for like a political cause. Of course. Sure, there's a Russian feeling like I'm making a difference by posting yeah. a thing. But there's always a part of it that's for attention. And I think that lack of acknowledgement that like you're, yeah, okay, posting that you everyone should hydrate. But you're also doing that. You don't yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. you sure you want everyone to hydrate, mm -hmm. I guess. Right. But also, you look really hot today. Mm -hmm. And it goes into all this shit about, my friend has a book coming out about the wellness industry and and a big point that a lot of the wellness industry, even though it's about quote unquote wellness and self-care, it's really about losing weight. And it, yeah. and it's really about looking hot. Yeah. And so all, it's it's all just code words. Like I, my, one of my pet peeves online and I'm an, I know I'm an asshole, but I have a pet peeve is when someone has like a size zero, you know, classically perfect body and they post mm -hmm. about loving your body. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's yeah, easy yeah. for you. And I, and I right. know that some people are coming at it from places where they've had body dysmorphia. I get it, but I feel like half the people preaching body love have the ideal body. So I'm like, well, if you don't feel good about your body, like how does that? How am I supposed to? Yeah. yeah. How am I supposed to feel? I'm. A, you're a size one. I'm a size twelve. Well, Christ. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you should feel good. You should feel good. Which is kind of like, yeah. Try, you know, pack on some pounds and then tell me that you feel I know, good. I know. That's what I always secretly. Think, I know. Right? But I, whenever it's... hot people are like, don't care about what you look. I'm like, great, gain weight. Yeah. Let yeah. me see it. Let me yeah, see yeah. it. But I know I, that, that I, I know whatever that's I want. I know yeah. that's unfair. I know. I know. I'm I know that that's way. an unfair thing to say because also I'm sure some people would look at me preaching about body yep. stuff and they're like, "Fuck yep. you, you're skinny." It, it, I know that's a shitty thing, but in the deep recesses of my, recesses of my mind, I think the same thing. I and I and I'm there with you, and it's the, that's why, like I, I, you know, I stay out of a lot of stuff. Like yeah. I, you know, I have things that I because I bitch about a lot. I mean, I'm good at it. And, uh, and so I will, and, but you know, there's also too, there is, I post on Twitter, you know, I post jokes cause I like, I, I, I write jokes. I think of jokes. I think of funny things. And instead of turning to the person next to me, if there's no one there, I put it on Twitter and then it's like, it's a fun joke. And I, and I can, you know. I yeah. like it. It's something I've been doing since I was a little kid, being funny for people. And then they laugh and it's all good. It's like a little transaction where everybody feels good. Um, but I also like will post about politics. And there's that is such a grandiose thing for me to do, <laughs> because what's what's at the core of it is my belief that the way that I think is the way it's good. It's true. It's right. So. These, there's so many people out there that just have not come to the same place that I'm at. So if I let them know, maybe it'll hip them to this, which is like, but I mean, that's the, that's the, 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 basically the engine of any political change is somebody going, there's a better way to do it. And then uh, people that don't know that go, oh, okay. You know, so yeah, but there is at its core, 
a grandiosity that there is in show business in general. Because the notion of I'm going to get up on stage in a room that's dark and it heavily outnumbered with a room full of people, but I'm going to get up on stage with all the lights on me and everyone should look at me and listen to what I say because it's it'll 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 benefit everyone. Yeah. That's grandiose. Yeah. Like it's that that urge is grandiose. And I just think that that grandiosity has spread to everyone where it's like everyone gets to feel that way on social media. They get to kind of dabble in that, you know, getting high off your own fumes of I'm just I'm opening eyes right now. <laughs> right. You know, I'm right. letting people know, you know, <sighs> You know, because also, too, it is like the person with the size zero body still probably fucking hates themselves. Well, that's and that's the thing is that broken, and that's why I know it's erroneous you know? to there. there's a death protest too much in a lot of people who post about self-love, because if you have self-love, why are you po- why are you posting? Yeah. About yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that's everybody, but but I think that is a lot of people. And so, yes, someone with a size zero body, they look in the mirror and that's not what they see. All they see are imperfections and they've gone through a, a body journey on their own. And and but 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 because I have a complicated relationship to my own body, especially post childbirth. I am secretly jealous of people who are skinnier than I am. Yeah. And that's where it comes from me. I see those people posting about their bodies and I go, well, fuck you, then gain some weight because I'm fundamentally jealous. The other day we saw a woman walking down the street with it wearing like a kind of a see-through, it was like almost like a see-through tuxedo. And you could see her bra and underpants. And instinctively I went, no. <laughs> And it wasn't because I was policing. You verbalized it? I went, no. Well, I was in the car, so she couldn't hear me. I went, no. And it was, and it wasn't because I was policing what she was wearing. It was because if this is a trend now, I know I can't pull this yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that's a lot of actually what when people uh like slut shame, you know, for what women are wearing. I wonder if I know that <laughs> part of my motive. I wonder if there's a, a secret jealousy of like, well, I can't pull that off. Yeah. So yeah. I'm so I'm like when I see these these oh these teenagers with their crop tops, I'm mm-hmm. just like, I there's a part of me that tisk tisks just because I I wish I had that body. There's a yeah. self-loathing yeah. inherent in all of that judgment. Every time I'm like I see someone, I'm like, you must be cold. Yeah. Inside what I'm really saying is I don't like my body. Right. But there's so much pressure for me to like my body because everyone tells me you should like your body and your body housed a human and oh my God, love yourself. You're beautiful. But like, so then that makes me hate myself more for not fully loving my body. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, um, I just kind of come down on the side of, and I don't talk about it much, but you know, like I have, I have, uh, felt like the fat kid my entire life, even when I, you know, lost weight even, you know, I look at pictures of myself much thinner than I am now. And I look at that picture and I go, damn, I look pretty good back then. And I think, and I still fucking hated myself. Yeah. I still thought I was a big fat fatty who threw his own, just because he's lazy and doesn't work hard enough and can't keep the fork out of his mouth, that that fatty was, you know, like I still was like, oh, you piece of shit. And I'm looking, I'm like, that's not a piece of shit. That's like a... You know, like a okay looking, you know, fit looking, healthy human being. Yeah. And I just nowadays, I just kind of, you know, I've always felt. I, I mean, I, 
one of the keys to adulthood, and I'm not, I don't think I'm the first person to come to this, is two things existing at once. That's like, and that's so hard for people to wrap their minds around. But I hate my body. I hate myself. But I love my body. Hmm. And I love myself. And like, I can have a satisfying sex life. And I can even sometimes feel like somebody's looking at me and they think I'm attractive. But then I can also, you know, I can walk by a shiny storefront and go, oh, my God. How does that big fucking cow walk around all day, you know, without being embarrassed? And they just coexist. And you just, it's like this sort of ever teeming war going on, you know, that, that I just kind of like, eh, yeah, that's, you know, we're, our big brains allow us to have, to hold these two competing ideas all at once. And, and I know the I, I understand how unhealthy to have such a shitty attitude about myself is. I understand that. And and that's why I say the reason I can kind of rest on it is that I also think like I if I was going to the doctor and the doctor was saying, you're going to die, yeah. I would do something. But the doctor's saying like, eh, you know, blood pressure's a little high. Here's some medication for that. You should lose some weight. It would be great if you could lose some weight. You should exercise more. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, and as I get, I understand too, that there's a, as it gets older, as you get older, it's like a little more imperative, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't, I mean, you know, my twenties was just like, I wonder how much booze and drugs and food I can pour into this thing without just completely falling apart. Oh, the, those bodies, twenties bodies are amazing. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. brimming with stem cells still. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, and things like, uh, stay out till four or five o'clock in the morning tripping on something and then go move furniture all day, like for 10 hours, <laughs> like with literally like a half an hour of not even sleep, just kind of lying down and closing my eyes for a minute <laughs> before I have to go work moving furniture. And now it's just like, oh my God. Well, first of all, staying at staying out past 11 o'clock is just, that sounds like crazy. <laughs> like, how am I going to do that? Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's a very complicated thing to live in this society and to and to have all this programming that comes into you. And I mean, and I'm guilty of looking at I'm guilty of looking at heavy people on TV and going like, oh, sweetheart, you should not wear that, be there, do that. You know, I have it all in my head, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have all that kind of shame that I project onto other people. And all I can do is just trust the people that love me and still kind of like love me and love my body enough to derive enjoyment from it. Yeah. And to think occasionally I look pretty good, you know, like I dress up well or, you know, and like I say, a lot of it is like trusting somebody that's like says you're attractive because, you know, for years the, the instinct is to go like, ugh, shut up. You know, no, right. I'm not. Well, now I go, okay. Yeah. Thank you. You know, Try to at least. Yeah, I'm just really vibing with everything you're saying. <laughs> okay, I like, thank you. Especially when you said what you've learned as an adult was the ability to carry two contradictory thoughts at once. Like, I know that one of the questions theoretically we talk, we'll talk about or would we'll talk yeah, about yeah. this podcast is what have you learned? And I feel like it sums up what I was gonna maybe say, which is we're not taught how to see gray. We're not taught how to see nuance and we're not taught how to see 
that a lot of things in life contradict each other. That yeah. that two things that seem like they contradict can both be true. We're just not, and I don't know if that's critical thinking skills. I don't know if it's because we're taught to see things as either or. I don't know if it relates to that we're like, fun, humans are fundamentally tribal. And so part of how we evolved was to see, okay, I'm in this tribe and you're in that tribe. Right. And so Binaries. I hate you. Yes, yeah. yeah, to move beyond the, the binary, people have- most people I think have a lot of trouble with that. And, and, um, and, and it's just, it's a thing that is left over from childhood that I, that I think we all have really a lot of trouble getting past and some people more than others. And that's what I am trying to do. Like my whole life is my kind of goal is to, well, you know, practice, love for others and 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 self-love because i'm so inspirational mm. um but also i've been writing all this down <laughs> thank you so much and then i'm gonna repost it okay uh, but but also get past the binaries that i have in my own mind that are either hardwired from nature or hardwired from nurture and it doesn't really matter where they come from but that just seems to be the key to being happy and being kind to people is just getting past these these black and white things. And I feel like I, I don't know, I've, I've brought this up in other podcasts, but just because it's something I think about a lot. I, I think about a lot. And I think also trusting the people that love you and what they say. And it's one of the reasons I got off Twitter is I, I, I was telling myself, oh, well, I need to be on Twitter to get, you know, the full spectrum of what people think. But no, I, I, I really trust the people I'm close with in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't think I surround myself with yes men. I've been with my husband for almost 15 years. Yeah. We call each other out on our shit. I'm pretty sure that any any criticism I need to hear, I'm going to hear from the people that also love me and know me. Yeah. And that's a, that's a realization I, I came to kind of recently. Well, and also too, I mean, just in my opinion, your work is so revelatory anyway. Oh, like you, thank you, you. No, absolutely. You are you are what there is called, and it's it's always so strange because like a brave performer, but it's like you're not rushing into a burning building. No, you're just you know. <laughs> it's like you're just you're just. I I noticed it very early on in comedy, uh, women in comedy, and just there was a power to women that were willing to be really ugly. Like and yeah. show whether it was physically ugly or like in their actions to be ugly and people go nuts for it. They're like, oh, my God, the power in that, you know, like she, you know, she's broken the chains of the patriarchy and she's <laughs> lost her concern about her attractiveness just for a moment and for a laugh. But still, yay, you know, and your work has had that. And it's what it's what's like great about it. And, you know, and that like crazy ex-girlfriend. That show was like about, you know, uh, 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 somebody that was very, very complicatedly damaged. And it was, you know, accompanied with music. It was, and that's, you know, that's really, it was not about how cool you were and about how, you know. And I mean, and it kind of, I mean, I know that it wasn't you, but it kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. You, you know, you know that there's got to be some autobiographical stripes in there. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're already 
you're already critiquing yourself in the way that you're presenting yourself in your work. So yeah, fuck those people on Twitter. Oh, that's a good, that's a very good point. Yeah. By the way, it, I think I've told you this, but it, it means so much to me that you that you watched that that show oh. and that, I, I respect you so much and that means a lot. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I watched it uh, with my daughter, especially she was crazy about it. And so we watched Love it. Love that. And there's lots of stuff there's lots of stuff that I watch with her and it's just a whole big other layer of enjoyment. You know, it's just, it's like, I can like it on my own and I watch the show on my own frequently, but when I would watch it with her, it was like an extra contact high of just, because she's, she's seeing it from a dip. I'm looking at it and I, and when I watch comedies, I just am seeing the seams. I'm just seeing the construction, you know? So I'm enjoying it, but I'm enjoying it with this very like, oh, that was nice. You know, that was a good transition. Oh, that's a good callback or whatever, you know. And and she's just viewing it as what an exciting world of complicated people that's centered on a complicated woman, you know. And so it was great. I liked it. Anyhow. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, you know. I, I'm the same way with Twitter. I, you know, I, I now just, if people say shitty things, I usually just block them. Cause I just feel like this is my Twitter. This is my experience. Mm. I, if I don't, I don't need some shitty person telling me I'm wrong about guns. Fuck you. <laughs> bye. You know? Um, cause I'm not wrong about guns. No, uh, you're not. and, and, oh. and so I just, but also too, I do have, I have developed a really thick skin from Twitter that I don't think is all bad. Hmm. I don't, I don't think that I, I, I can take a lot now. I mean, but I always was kind of, cause now, you know, you fat, worthless piece of shit. You just rode Conan's coattails. Fucking yawn, like yawn till the end of time. Yeah. You, you know, I'm overweight. Gosh, way to go detective, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, and, and like, you know, oh, and I and I rode Conan's coattails. Oh, you mean I was on a I played a, 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 a you know, a consequential role in a very well-respected show that was on the air for 30 or so years. Oh, yeah, that does suck. What an <laughs> asshole I am. Yeah. What a fucking has been you guy that, you know, probably buys swords at the mall, you know. <laughs> You're right. It's all, I, they always I, have swords. Uh, yeah. Or that I know. It's all, And it's always like, too, I just love to, somebody will say something, you know, just just horrible, like some horrible caveman remark. And then you look at their feed and it's just sports. Here's my ideas about sports and sports and sports and sports. It's, oh, man. All right, sports fan. Good job. Uh, and if that person came up to you in real life, You'd be like, and said that to you to your face. You'd be like, what? Get out of here. It's just because it's in print, not print, but because it's in words. Yeah, yeah. It can become, and I think this is ev- this is everyone who reads anything shitty about themselves online. It's not that person. It's you. Mm-hmm. It's you saying your first worst fear, or it's the person you admire most. Everyone who says a shitty thing about you is the smartest person in the world who knows your deepest insecurities. Yes, yes, yes. Well- it's a it's the old thing that many people talk about in a in a in a show in an an audience that is a sea of smiling faces but there's one sourpuss with a you know with almost a frown yeah it's, it's the only person you can see when what you're on is stage. that it fucking I don't, it's it just, also it it well so recently I found like 
this is a whole other thing, but I found an interesting link between uh, anxiety, the anxiety that I've always known I've I've had, and um, other parts of myself being like, oh, they're all they're all kind of aspects of ADHD, which I kind of have always known I had elements of, but mm-hmm. I got a therapist who was like, no, no, you you have. ADHD. And there are so many elements of ADHD I didn't understand, but one of them is something called rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And it's people with ADHD are actually more hurt by perceived rejection because from the way it was described to me, and I'm still learning about it, is that you're you're dopamine seeking, which means you're, you know, you're pleasure seeking. And when something is the opposite of that, it's all the more kind of devastating. I don't know if it's a chemical drop in. And I think a lot of artists have ADHD. I I think there's a, I think there's a part of creativity that, that is that. And so you get people who are both putting themselves out there and being vulnerable in public, but then are also inordinately sensitive to criticism. Mm -hmm. I think this is a lot of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, I mean, it's, it's, I've always said it to me, <laughs> I've said this before, like to me that one of the most amazing phenomenons of like our world of creative people is the whole concept of awards shows. Oh my uh, God. Which is just, and to me, it's always, and it's always struck me, you know, going to them and sitting in them because I have so often sat in the Emmys, in the audience at the Emmys and felt like, I wasn't one of the cool kids. Mm. And it was just, it felt so like, oh, there's my friends, like people I know who are over there and they're on bigger shows and people, they're getting more attention and oh, they're just, they're so cool over there. Oh, and look who my friend is talking to. It's, you know, Johnny Bigwig and all, you know. I love his work. He's fantastic. Yeah, Scientologist, um, though. <laughs> eh, whatever. <laughs> uh, you got to have your hobbies. Uh, <laughs> but I I'm, I just have always marveled at, here is a room full of people who have made it in a world that does not allow you to make it very often. They have beaten the odds. Yeah. They have, they have all, they are all successes just by the fact that they are in that room. And they all sign up for the chance to be a loser because they group them into groups of whatever, seven or 10 and mm-hmm. six or, or nine of them get to go home feeling like shit. And it just, <laughs> it feels to me like we are rejection junkies. Oh, that's like, such a good point. Even when we get to this level where we have, you know, we're paying mortgages with showbiz money, but we still once a year got to put on our fanciest clothes to get judged in our fanciest clothes to get judged for the work that we do and to go home probably feeling bad. <laughs> That's such a good point. You know, it's just it's yeah. to me it's just the craziest thing. And like and and also to inject competition into this. Like why? You know, there's already um, it's already monetized, you Well, know? the origin, okay, well I I and this is beside the point, but you know the origin of the Oscars? Mm-mm. It okay. I'm going to paraphrase and get this wrong, but I find this fascinating. There was a Vanity Fair article about it like uh, years ago. Um, basically, Louis B. Mayer was getting spooked at uh, the Teamsters. He was getting spooked at the crew joining unions because he tried to have the crew of his movies build him a beach house 
but build, build like they build a set. And they were like, no, we're not going to do this. We're in a union now. And he was like, the fucking unions. Oh shit. What happens when the actors start to unionize? That's going to suck. We got to distract them. Okay. Let's something, let's create something that sounds like a union and isn't, but it isn't. We're going to call it the Academy of uh, fucking motion picture arts and sciences, but it's yeah, not right. a union, but it's going to sound like a union and we'll have, we'll throw them an award show every year. The Oscars was created to be a distraction from starting from unions. unionizing. That's fantastic. Isn't that, um, isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, and part of the reason I wanted to grow up and be an actress was of course, seeing the Oscars and the Golden Globes and the Emmys on TV. But now that I'm actually working, I had this thought the other day, uh, that's not the job. Yeah. That's that's 90% of what you see the job is when you're a kid and know nothing about show business. But the job is going to work and knowing your lines and making a show with hundreds of other people who don't get to go to the award shows. Yeah. Yeah. And it's be, and it and a lot of it is because Louis B. Mayer didn't want the actors to form unions. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's it's you it know. really tickles me. It's yeah, this this glorious celebration of us is really just kind of keeping us in our place. Yeah. 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 Well, I have kept you uh plenty long enough. No, this is awesome. And, this and is, I, I didn't even answer your three questions. That I doesn't mean, matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. But I mean, but tell us first of all what you got coming up. You know, get them plugs in. And then but that, you know, and you kinda already answered the, you know, the like what have you learned? Yeah, I mean, you kind of answered that for me. I mean, I have a, I mean, I, I wrote a book last year and now it's out in paperback called I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. And you can buy that, I, assumedly, wherever books you're sold. You know, uh, try to help your local indie books bookstore if you can. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I'm on this show reboot that'll be coming out, I think, in the in the fall. And uh, I don't where's know. That on, where's that on? Hulu. Oh, Hulu. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that, and there's like a lot of really cool people on that, oh, isn't there? Oh, it's awesome. It's Keegan-Michael Key, Judy Greer, Paul Reiser, Johnny wow. Knoxville, um, it, it's, and more. It's that's, and, Oh, that's yeah. a fun it's, bunch. It, it's it's really awesome. And it's that's been great. A kind of just a, not to be trite, but like a master class yeah, yeah. working with all those people. And yeah, what? I have an Instagram. You can I don't know, I'll announce yeah, all yeah. this shit. Well, what, what, are you, uh, what are you hoping for? Is there something that you're... You know, is there a dream project or is there something that you're kind of aiming towards that you want to get done? I mean, I have a sketch show right now that I am waiting to hear if it's getting ordered to series. So, you know, I'm in the kind of limbo of, but that's, that's kind of, God, I hope that gets ordered. And then, and then Aline, Aline and I are doing another show. We have a pilot with Hulu that we're also kind of just waiting to hear if we're going to film it. And so those are two really important things. And then I, I have a whiteboard behind me. That's a list of all of the things I should be working on. I'm also, I'm working on a new special. And so I've been workshopping that kind of once a month at dynasty typewriter here in LA. Oh, great. Great. Uh, and that's very important to me. As I want to, I, well. I need to come out and see. Come that. out. Oh, I'll get I you. A, to, no need to pay. I'll get I you need, a comp. Well, all right. I mean, I have money. <laughs> I, uh, granted, I don't have a job per se, but I have money. I have podcast money. Oh, well, that's... That's like, I get four nickels every podcast. <laughs> and the thing well, is, they could just give you two dimes. I know. I know. They could. Or just, what about a quarter? Oh, Would it yeah. kill you? Would it kill you? Anyhow, Rachel Bloom, thank you so much <laughs> for, for taking time me. out of your day and, and, and talking to me. It was really a fun, great talk. Uh, and, you know... I, You're the I, best. 
Oh gosh! Any time. Thank you, thank you. It it was it was a fun conversation, and that's I you know, I I very rarely talk to people I don't want to talk to, and you were somebody I definitely wanted to talk to. So thank you. I think I think that's reflected in the conversation. Uh, you know, people, you can you know you can give me feedback that I won't look at if you want. So. Right, all right, scathing reviews on iTunes. Yes, yes. All right, well, thank you all for listening. And uh, I'll be back next week with more Three Questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.